You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to another fabulous episode of Dear Multi-Hyphenate. I am your host, Michael Kushner, and I'm so glad that you're joining me for another episode. Thanks as always to the Broadway Podcast Network, and thank you for listening. If you have not followed me on social media yet, what are you waiting for? Please follow at the Michael Kushner or at Dear Multi-Hyphenate and uh, get exclusive content, <laughs> exciting content on social media. And also, if you haven't gone to Apple Podcasts, please rate, subscribe, comment, leave a review. It's free and helps me out a lot, so please do that. Um, before we get into anything else, I just wanted to say that this episode is, I love this episode, but it does get a little intense at times. There are some things that are talked about that I agree with, some that I don't agree with, but I think the conversation overall is important and take what you, take what you will from it. And I think that is, um, you know, the most important, what I love about having on this podcast are different perspectives, different walks of life, different ways of expression and this episode is no different um so i hope you enjoy it uh my book comes out how to be a multi-hyphenate in the theater business conversations advice and tips from dear multi-hyphenate it comes out so soon comes out in like a few days (laughs) uh comes out february 10th uh and it's published by rutledge publishing it's going to be at the drama bookshop you can buy it on amazon through rutledge you can buy it through barnes and noble online um, and I'm really excited and I hope you all like it. And I'm really nervous. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's crazy. It's a book. I wrote a book. I don't really remi- remember writing some of it. I mean, I do, but I don't, you know what I'm saying? It's like, Ooh, an eyelash. You have to make a wish. <laughs> um, I made a wish. Um, I feel, you know, a little, just nervous as I always do putting things into the world. You know, and I I think that's a good feeling, but I hope people learn from it. I hope people take away positivity and understand that there are so many different ways to self-create, self-advocate, so many different paths, and um, it's up to you. That's the whole book. It's all about advocacy and accessibility. Getting into this industry, which seems so inaccessible at times, but there are actually a lot of ways that the industry is accessible and they're not, you know, mainstream and they're not centered because where do you start? Well, here's where you start. This book. 
which is available for pre-order now. And if you're in the city, on February 1st, um, tickets open up for my book signing, which I believe I'm doing a panel as well. But at the Drama Bookshop, February 12th is the book signing at 7.30, and tickets go on sale on February 1st. So I hope to see you there at the Drama Bookshop. What else is there? Um, I've been seeing some wonderful theater. Uh, I saw, yeah, I loved 1776. Um, I saw Life of Pi at ART in Boston last night, which was magical. And those puppets are incredible in the way that they tell a story. It's just, it's so great. And, um, you know, we're, we're just like we talk about in this episode, you know, we're, we're due for a, uh, we're due for a shakeup, you know, there's, I feel like we're on the precipice of like, uh, a shakeup in the theater, which, um, it's, I feel like it's starting to happen and, um, it's very exciting with some of the stuff that I'm seeing. It's, it's very, it's very exciting and I know that this industry is kind of in <laughs> in shambles a little bit right now um, in many different ways, but we are resilient and we will make it out. You know what I'm saying? We will do it. We shall do it. We have no other choice. What am I supposed to do? Rocket science. You don't want me doing that. Anyway, let's get into the episode. I'm really excited about this book. I hope you pre-order it. <laughs> um... Stephen Adley Gurgis. I can't believe I had Stephen Adley Gurgis on my podcast. Uh, what do we talk about in this episode? You know, what is a multi-hyphenate, Mr. Gurgis? How writing made him respect others' writing? Uh, why do people think multi-hyphenates aren't a thing? Um, scene work with Daphne Rubin Vega. He says some really great quotes. Um, you know, we also talk about work uh, work that isn't as dangerous as it used to be being okay with being hurt, loving acting, but not loving writing, and how he, you know, sort of established the Labyrinth Theater Company. Stephen Adley Gerges is a Pulitzer Prize-winning American playwright, screenwriter, director, and actor. He is a member and former co-artistic director of the New York City's Labyrinth Theater Company. His plays have been produced both off-Broadway and on-Broadway, as well as in the UK. His play Between Riverside and Crazy won the 2015 Pulitzer Prize for Drama and is currently on Broadway, playing at the Helen Hayes Theater through February 12th. Gurgis was most recently in the film Funny Pages, and you can now purchase Gurgis's newest play, Halfway Bitches Go Straight to Heaven, published by TCG Books. Stephen Adley Gurgis brings his prodigious gifts for exploring the lives of social outcasts to new heights in this play about the inner workings of a woman's halfway house in New York City, where the unmoored residents struggle with addiction, abuse, and mental illness. Between daily therapy sessions, they clash with the staff and each other, form alliances, and fall in love. Harrowing, humorous, and heartbreaking, Halfway Bitches Go Straight to Heaven roaringly brings to life the experiences of women who society has tried to shuffle out of sight and out of mind. Enjoy the episode. Stephen Adley Gerges, how are you? I'm all right, man. I'm a little under the weather, but I'm glad to be here. Why are you under the weather? What are you experiencing? Um, I don't know. I'm in LA and it's just, it's cold and rainy. And when I lived in New York and people complained about the weather in LA, I used to like laugh and worse. But when you're out here and you get used to sun, 
and there's no sun for like a few days, you start to feel like the world is ending a little sure. bit. Yes. Um, I'm from Fort Lauderdale. and Well, I was raised in Fort Lauderdale. And the thing that I – the only thing that I miss about Florida is the weather, but it's not – exactly what you would expect it's the the 3 p.m storm that comes in every day demolishes everything with a big lightning thunder tropical storm for about 30 minutes to an hour and passes by and it's sunny again but it like gets rid of all of that humidity and, and it just like i don't know i weather you know weather really affects mood and creativity and this is a in New York, Jan the January through April moment is a people don't really know that it's a it's a moment, but seasonal defective defective seasonal affective defective. Yeah. <laughs> it's real. Yeah, it's a real. I thing. got one of those lights back in New York. Um, yeah, and and I I love Fort Lauderdale. I mean, I I started going. I don't know some years ago. It's like I don't go for the culture. I don't go for the political discussion. Like I'm polite to let everybody and I like go to like sit on the beach and I like those midday storms too. It just sort of wipes the slate. It's true. And you know, Florida is its own it's its own um it's its own world, you know, especially as you bring up the political sort of sphere down there. It's just like it's it's it, it's their own rules and regulations and all of that stuff. But uh I'm so glad that you're joining me. Let's just get right into it. I this podcast is Dear Multi-Hyphenate. So what to you is a multi-hyphenate? Um, I mean, a multi-hyphenate is, it, I guess it fits right in with the standard definition, right? You do, you do more than one thing or, or you start to be known to be someone that does more than one thing. Um, yeah. That's 100% it. And, you know, as I'm starting to read, which we're going to talk about, as I'm starting to read Halfway Bitches Go Straight to Heaven, I notice in the beginning you say something that is extremely relatable to the multi-hyphenate um, experience. And um, I'm just going to read a little bit of it because I think it's it's such a brilliant insight to the private thoughts that we sort of have um, as creators, as people that aren't just don't just label themselves as actors or just writers or whatever but back in the day when i was a young acting student and full time fuck up same uh a well-known actor came to our class to talk about how to make it in the business i was terrible at the business of the business i still am and i was terrible mainly because i was absolutely fucking terrified i mostly still am and i lacked confidence in myself my appearance and my abilities mostly still do i remember being very impressed and inspired by the speaker that day, taking notes and hanging on his every word. He had the magic formula. And I wanted that shit. We all did. And then, right around the part where they tell you how hard it is, how shitty it is, how you have to be willing to starve, how unlikely it is you'll ever learn a living, and if there's anything else you can do besides acting, you should go do that instead. None of that shit fazed me. He, stu he suddenly looked straight at me and said, for all these reasons, and trust me on this because I've seen it a million times, if you do not have 100% faith and believe in yourself that you can do this, if you don't know it, then please quit now because I promise no one will believe in you and you will go nowhere and you will waste your life. I just thought that that was such a relatable statement because 
that was sort of the process, the beginning process to me of being a multi-hyphenate. I um, remember when I was, I've been in the industry 22 years. I started as a child actor. And I remember just because I had a camera in my hand, someone that I had known for all of that time was like, oh, you're doing that now? With this very, so obviously you, this affected you because it made it into the first few pages of your right. new play. Do you, can you talk to me more about that? Like what, like that feeling of that terror, how did you take that and put it into your work? Yeah. Eventually I was able to put it into my work. Initially I dealt with the, the, that terror by, um, you know, failing, running away, signing up for the class, not going, all that, all that stuff. Um, but um, eventually, I, I I became part of this theater company, Labyrinth Theater, and um, and nobody really knew who we were. And once we decided to produce theater, we couldn't like we might have a play, but but the playwright doesn't know if he wants to use us as a cast or not, or you know. So they quickly decided to just try to do things on our own, you know. And uh, so uh, John Ortiz, who was one of the leaders of the company, asked me to write something because we went to college together. And um, and what I discovered at first, I was like, I mean, I did it because he he asked me, but I didn't think about writing. But what I discovered when I was like, all right, what am I going to write? What I found was all the stuff that was inside of me. You know, the fear, the anxiety, the all that shit, I could put it into characters and into voices and onto a page. And so the first thing that I ever wrote was this little play called Francisco and Benny. And it was basically like two guys on a stoop and and one guy kind of doesn't want to grow up and wants to keep the party going. And the other guy kind of has some sense of like, I, I need to start at least imitating what a grown up does. And, you know, if I had had a therapist at the time, you know, they would have said that I was having an argument with myself, you know? Um, but uh, but I, re I do remember the feeling, the thing about acting is until somebody hires you, you can't really do it, you know? But, but what I found with writing is that that same um, commitment that I put into, I, I tried to put into acting the same um, feelings I could put into a character and and then you know ps create work for someone else you know and that and that first uh play uh there was actor david zayas who was in it and he wasn't even an actor at the time he was he was a cop you know and now he's an actor you know he's he's just on broadway so uh so yeah so multi-hyphenate sort of came uh by by accident um but i would like to say one thing um, which is um, a guy that I like really admire a lot is is Ethan Hawke. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I admire Ethan so much is that whatever he wants to do, he just does it. You know, I mean, you know, early in his career, he decided he wanted to write a novel. And people are like, who's this little pretty boy bitch thinks he can write a novel? Novel comes out, oh, it sucks, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he wrote another novel after that, you know? At some point, he decided he wanted to make documentaries. Now, he's already made, like, like a couple, like, really great. Did you see the one about the music teacher? The no, guy who had... 
it's it's it he he did a documentary about this guy he, he had Ethan had stage fright and someone said you got to talk to this guy and it was a guy who was a classical pianist who retired at the height of his career and he did a documentary about this guy and it's amazing and then the Paul Newman documentary that that just came out it's like in five parts like I haven't watched the last part because I don't want it to end wow. anyway I admire because I'm so I have so many hang-ups <laughs> I admire people that are free like that and have that ability. Cause on a certain level, you have to be like, I don't give a shit what other people think. I'm going to just do this thing, you know? Um, and I'm, 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 I'm aspiring, you know, even at, you know, 57 now to try to be uh, more free, you know, and, 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 and uh, you know, sometimes I'm able to do it, but uh you know, and, and also, you know, Shanley wrote something, I prefaced to one of his plays, it might have been Dreamer, or it might have been uh, Dan and Deep Blue Sea, but he talks about how, you know, acting is writing, is directing, is living your life, that basically, all those different disciplines inform the others, and that, you know, I certainly, once I started writing, I grew much more healthy respect as an actor for writing. You know, the paraphrasing went out the window, you know, like I because I started to understand what it took to actually come up with those words, you know, but anyway. And every single word, every single uh, punctuation that you choose is there for a specific reason. Yeah, you know, and sometimes, you know, sometimes you read something that doesn't make any sense, you know, or you think, oh, this is dumb, or I can make it better. But like, but that person, you don't know what they went through to get it, you know, to get that. So at the very least, you have to give it your all. And then maybe, you know, if it's a new play, you can have a discussion about, hey, da, 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 da. and I'm open when actors do that with me. And, and I find that when an actor is struggling to say a line or something that I wrote, almost invariably, it's it's the problem is with the writing, not mm. with, with, with the actor. I mean, if they're a good actor, you know? Um, so, yeah. That's beautiful. Uh... You know, I, I I don't know where you bring up something that I talk about a lot, but I just don't know where it came about that someone just said, no, you can't do that. You can't act and produce. You can't create a theater company. And where did that come from? Because we look at Mel, yeah. Mel, Mel Brooks, right? Mel's been doing it since 49. Uh where what and when did we start listening to these people who are they and when did we start listening to them yeah. i mean i think that to be fair there is some wisdom you know like if you're if you're studying one discipline it's hard enough to get that to become competent at that mm -hmm. you know so um there's certainly um you know uh, when i when when i was in acting school and i studied with this guy william esper who's an amazing beautiful man great teacher and and i had i was in a scene with um do you know this actress daphne ruben vega yeah of course like from rent and this and that so we're doing this scene together and we couldn't get the scene right you know everyone else had graduated onto other scenes he kept making us do the scene and one day he just just screaming at us because uh at the time she was doing the workshop of rent it was just a workshop and uh i was doing something with lab or uh, I, I don't know what like i think i had written a play and at first he went to Daphne and he was like, do you want to play whores all your life? 
or do you want to be an actor? You know, blah, blah, blah. You're doing all this outside shit. You need to be in here studying. And then he turned to me and said, you know, your theater company is ruining you as an actor. You know, he was he was he was frustrated. Of course, a year later, Daphne's on the cover of Newsweek, you know, and a couple of years later, he's coming on my plays and it's like it's all love. But, you know, I understand the idea of keeping being focused, you know, staying focused. Um, but as you know, as anyone know who cobbles together a fucking living in this business, you better be able to do more than one thing. <laughs> you know, you better be able to do how to, to do more than one thing because a it gives you an opportunity to be in rooms that you wouldn't normally be in, or or to make a few dollars when you couldn't make a few dollars, and then but then also to learn. But it's not just like you know that old generation was just so stuffy and wrong. I mean, they, wouldn't would you agree? Yeah, I mean, I I think you know, yes, I think that life has just shifted so much now with that's true tiktok and with with the accessibility of small business owning how easy it is um to own a small business and um that accessibility of educating someone on how to run a business and and with quickbooks and with google sheets it's right at the it's at the tip of your finger so like there's sort of not um there's no excuse to not have something that you can have exist that affects your acting in support of it because when i when i talk about multi-hyphenating i say it's an artist who has multiple proficiencies which cross-pollinate to help flourish professional capabilities that that being said my acting supports my photography my photography supports my producing my producing supports my uh my writing and um and it's not they don't just exist separately they exist together in turn i then can say i am a multi-hyphenate theater artist if you need me to act i now have agency because i'm a strong believer in i'm the type of artist that the type of actor that like when i step on stage and this is just me and i believe that like everyone can have their own their own um intention about being an actor when i step on stage i want it to feel fully and wholly me i want the audience to get to know me through the character in which I'm portraying. I don't necessarily want to act. I do want to act, but I don't necessarily like. I don't have any interest in, uh, in being. Uh, I, I don't have any interest in uh, aspiring for Ethan Hawke's career because it's just not me. I'm a gay New York Jew, and you know I want to do Roger Debris and the producers. I want to do. Um, I, I want to do Tenardier in Les Mis. And that's just the musical theater aspect. That's not even what's happening in, you know, in with, with classical text or whatever. I find right. myself in that work. Um, but I have my own agenda as to who I want to be as an actor. And I'm entitled to that. I'm also entitled to that because I have other things that are keeping me artistically satisfied that I can focus on while I'm waiting for those gigs and that are paying my bills and expanding my whole um my whole period my whole artistry as a uh you know as an experience so that's sort of where i approach the multi-hyphenate that it could be whatever you want it to be as long as each hyphen affects the other yeah and also as long as that you have some acceptance of like you know i you know i i i might act write design lights and you know play guitar like 
I may be a better writer than I am a lighting designer, you know, like I may be better and that's okay. Like, it doesn't mean I have to, you know, you know, stop doing it. You know, I, I would, I would add to what you say. It's good if it informs the other and, but, and it's also mostly good if like you enjoy doing it, you know, I mean, that's, 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 that's a good, that's a big one too. That's, I mean, if, if you do say, like you do say in the beginning of Halfway Bitch, it's goes straight to heaven in the sort of prologue part, um, the intro, you know, you do sort of allude to that and the passion, having the passion to do this is, you know, you mentioned that you had 50, I don't want to misquote, misquote you, but 51, what was it? 51% of, um, yeah, I can't believe in myself 100%. Right. But if I can believe in myself 51, it's enough to keep going. Exactly. You know? And I think that is beautiful. Um, because we don't have, we're not on every day. Sometimes our hyphens, our multiple proficiencies are not as in check as they should be. Sometimes they take the back burner. Sometimes if I'm working on a project, right? Like if I'm producing a gig, if I'm producing a web series or whatever, and that takes me out of the studio for 15 days, then I have to, then that takes me out. And it's, it's a give and take. And I think multi-hyphenating is a new age way of artistry um, that allows you to have more agency over how you want to create and things like that. You mentioned um, before William Esper and how he's a wonderful man but got really got on you and Daphne Rubin Vega. And I just have a question about this because I love your writing is so um, unapologetic, balls to the walls, colorful in so many different ways. Um, I, I'm wondering what you think about when you mention focus and care and the work if you notice that work that we're doing in the industry is not as um, dangerous or daring as it used to be. And because I, I'm interested in knowing this from a, from a playwright's perspective of what they are seeing in the world around them, but also um, playwrights that are in rooms that are creating, that are also producing, like what is, what's your thought about the industry in this moment? There's a lot of fear right now in general mm -hmm. and uh, in, 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 in all of us. And, um, and, and the fear is not necessarily all paranoid or unfounded, mm -hmm. you know, but when, when, when fear is the, uh, when fear gets the, st the steering wheel, you know, it leads to, um, you know, doing safe things you know, um, doing things to check boxes, um, you know, uh, doing things, what do they call it? Virtue signaling, mm -hmm. um, shit like that. And um, I think that, uh, I think that, I think that we're due to be shook up in a, in a real way, you know, like, you know, like the punk movement did in into like at, you know middle of the road rock and roll in the seventies. Um, you know, like the off Broadway did in the you know late fifties and early sixties. Like we're due for it; it'll be coming. And um, 
and uh, and we need it. And I and I think that there are uh, artists out there that that still do it, you know, um, time after time. Mm-hmm. What's the name of that? Uh, I always forget his name. He's that one theater guy. I really like uh, his name escapes me, but you know, like someone like David Chappelle, for example, mm-hmm. you may like you know his last monologue, like. You may agree, you may disagree, you may be offended, you may say right on whatever it is. Like I feel like he's doing his job, mm. like that. The job of a comedian, the job of like an elite comedian, is to walk that narrow fucking thread, you know, and 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 uh, make us laugh but make us think, you know. And um, and I think he does that consistently. And then John Stewart, I think, did an interview a couple of days later about about his. Uh, monologue and he was incredibly eloquent about from from a slightly different angle too um you know i think uh the, there's a lot of different functions for people working in arts you know stirring the pot is one uh healing is another laughter i mean yeah uh, generally i think that it's out there you know i have friends i'm out in la now because i'm working on the show and I have friends that, uh, who are writers and, and they complain all the time, like, you know, everyone's getting canceled. You can't write anything anymore. You're going to go to HR, blah, 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 blah. But then I finally started watching that show, The Bear. Did you ever see The Bear? It's on my list to watch, but I love Jeremy. Bro, like, like my one of my best friends is in it. I haven't watched it. I just watched the first couple episodes and it's brilliant. Yeah. And, and it's brilliant. And I believe it's on a network. Or 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 well, it's on FX, whatever. But it's like you know, if you want to be offended, it's easy. Like it's like they offend everybody right from fucking jump. There's one character, and they call him Fag. That's like his name. Same. You know, <laughs> and and uh, you know, if 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 you're if if you're using offensive language to um, you know to offend or to like gain allies with the ignorant like yeah fuck you but like that's not what the guy whoever that brilliant guy that wrote the bear is doing he's doing something else he's making us question you know those things and laugh while we do it so i'm optimistic and also you know i've heard a lot that like the younger generation is a lot more sensitive and Mm -hmm. you know people talk about like everything is abuse and everything is this and that but when i when i actually meet with young people i find that they do want to be challenged they do want to do good work um and it's like you know it's it's our job i mean i'm older than you you know but like you know it's the job of the person to create a room where it's all right to take risks it's okay to get hurt it's all right to be offended it's all right to like you know and that's you know bill you know bill esper you know could be tough but like I, I never questioned once. That was because because he wanted us to be the best that that we could be, and that he cared, and that makes sort of all the difference in the world. There are people who love to just sit on a throne and be like, "You're not doing it right," mm-hmm. but then there's people who, that's their life, you know, their life is to try to make. <laughs> basically, any bozo who decides wants to be an actor, you know, as competent as possible. Like Sandy Meisner. You. That's right. What do you say? I wish that the stage was a tightrope where only the most agile were would be able to. I understand that, and, and you know what? If you're paying 150 bucks to see a show on Broadway, 
yeah, I kind of feel that way. You know, like I want everyone to be great. I want the writing to be great. I want I want to eat, not even notice the directing because it's so good, yes. you know, um, and it's a high bar. And unfortunately, you know, uh, the prices are out of, you know, are, are ridiculous. But that's the other thing, too, about like, you know, passion, but also there's like commitment, like like acting is hard and it's scary for me. You know, I, I still get scared every time I do it, but I love it. Writing, I don't love it. I don't fucking love it wow. one bit. I wow. I struggle like hell with it. But when I do it, I try to do the best that I can, you know? And 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 I don't think of um writing plays as like, you know, some people there I feel like some people write too many plays. Like sometimes be like, dude, you can't possibly have this much to say that you got like three plays a year, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, uh, someone needs to call Shakespeare's reps and tell him to calm down. <laughs> you know, Shakespeare was, a uh, was an anomaly, right? Cause he, he uh, that's he wrote for the groundlings as much as he wrote for the, the queen, you know? Right. Um, that's so brilliant that you say that because I feel like that's what makes your writing brilliant is that you don't like it. And I feel like that's what makes your voice um, yours and undeniably yours. Uh, because I think, I don't know, when, when I'm, when I'm, sometimes when I have to sit down, I'm like, fuck, I don't want to fucking do this. Sometimes I create some of the most brilliant shit that I still don't think is brilliant, but it's like something that I'm known for. There are episodes that I've recorded of, of, um, of Dear Multi Hyphenate of this podcast where I'm like, I'm not prepared for this or I'm not whatever. And then the conversation winds up being incredible. Or um, I'm teaching theater business at NYU right now. And, you know, some days I feel more prepared than others because of life or whatever. And some days the, the classes where I'm the least prepared are, or I'm in not the best mood are the best ones. Uh, and it, 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 it's just because, um, I think we don't have this filter of what's supposed to be perfect or I'm supposed to love this. And I think that's why I ultimately chose not to pursue acting like I had just graduated with my BFA in musical theater. I think I, I tried for about two years and I wasn't happy. I didn't like it. And I wasn't doing good stuff. I was nervous all the time. Um, I would go up on my lyrics. I... I I, I I couldn't I didn't sound good because I was so worried about what people were saying and I didn't like it. As soon as I made the decision to focus on other things, and then only focus on the stories I did want to tell as a performer, that's when I started to blossom and come into my own and feel confident as a performer again because I wasn't putting the pressure on myself to like it anymore just because I had done it my whole life. And I think ultimately we have to love this. I'm wondering if now what I'm going to say is. I'm going to regret it, but I think ultimately we don't necessarily have to love the medium in which we're telling the story, but we have to love the story in which we're telling. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it, I got to love the, I got to love the, the people in the story too. You know, yeah. I, I don't teach very often, but when I do, I always try to stress like that. Um, you know, I, 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 
I'll use an analogy like Othello and Iago, right? Yeah. And it's like, you know, and say like, hey, you know, we know who the good guy in the story is. We know who the bad guy in the story is. But, but let's talk about what they have in common. You know, it's like they both want to be loved. They both want to be affirmed. They were both great generals. They both, you know, it's just one guy goes about it in a fucking wrong way you know, but I can still have some empathy, you know, and I, you know, during the Trump years, I would say, like, I could never write a play about Trump, because intellectually, I have empathy, intellectually, I understand that he had an upbringing and a father and all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. But in my heart, I'm like, yeah, okay, but that doesn't mean you had to go out and destroy the world. Right. You know, so I, 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 I've yet to find a way to find some love for for him, you know, but, uh, Generally, all my characters, I I have to be able to find some of that love because to some degree, it's a part of us. You know, it's like, you know, we all have um, beauty in us and we all have ugliness in, on, in us. And, that, and the ugly part is hard to look at and it's shameful and it's like we want to run very far away from it. But um, I, I guess when I write plays, I write partially like, I write about stuff that keeps me up at night, the stuff that I, you know, and produces feelings in me that are very complicated, you know, um, and try to put that on stage, but in a way like I, I've, I've, I believe you're, you, we're not entitled to bore an audience to death, you know, um, you know, it's, you know, I, I believe in, entertainment there's you know i try to have humor in my place partially for that reason but also you know sometimes some of my characters can be pretty despicable but i find that if an audience can laugh it it, it opens them up you know um to you know even somebody that's uh you know on the surface you know nothing like us and and and, and bad and, and there was some playwright that once said uh you make them laugh, and then when their mouth is open, you could drop a little something in there. But um, yeah, I'm I'm still trying to figure it out. I mean, I guess I've written a bunch of plays now, and and every time I have to write, I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing, like zero, not an exaggeration. And the only benefit that comes from having written before is that eventually I'll remember that I felt exactly this way. The last time and the last time and the last time, but I found a way through. So, you know, sometimes you don't find a way through, you know. Um, Can you talk more about that? What is story? What does that mean? Sometimes you don't find a way through. Well, I mean, I found that generally speaking, when I was writing play for my theater company, when there are people I loved, cared about and didn't want to let down, I would I was able to deliver. When I was fortunate enough to get opportunities to write a pilot for HBO or this or that, where I don't have that built in, whatever it is, guilt or love, you know, so often I just won't get it. I just won't get it done. You know, um, I Scott Rudin hired me to write a screenplay years ago. And never. I mean, it got so ugly that, you know, he was threatening to destroy me and you're never going to work again. And da, 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 da. It was it was it was awful. And then I wrote Motherfucker with the Hat and he found out about it and he put it on Broadway, you know? So it's like, you know, um, but, you know, that play 
started because I was going to my theater company's retreat. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to write anything, but I was like, I'm going there. They're going to expect something. So I just wrote like 15 or 20 pages, you know, and I wrote probably the first scene or two. And, and I remember even after I wrote it, I was like, I can't write another play where everyone's cursing and fucked up and they're addicts and no one has jobs. And, but it got like a really good response. So I was like, all right, maybe one more, you know, and, and that, that play got written because I love my fucking theater company. And once they committed to it, I was like, I have to, I can't let them down. Unfortunately, sometimes when there's opportunities to make money, I, I, that incentive, it should entice me, but it doesn't, you know? Um, yeah. So I often have failed at stuff, you know, um, because, because of that reason, but not when it's, uh, not when it's for the family. Wow. Hey, I'm LaClette. And I've been a Broadway artist for almost 20 years. And when you've been in the biz as long as I have, you quickly realize that not every room is welcoming. Having experienced too many disrespectful moments to count, I wondered, what if what I wore had the power to connect me with other artists without saying a word? That question led me to create a message apparel line that will empower artists towards enlightening dialogue for our spaces. Go to geared.byfearlessyoungartist.com and use multi-hyphenate 10 to choose the message that inspires conversation. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to talk about Labyrinth for a second because, you know, you're talking about creating a certain environment. Do you uh, one where it's safe to um, push and, and be dangerous and things like that? Do you feel like Labyrinth was successful for you in creating that environment? Or do you feel like because she's so close to you, it's almost this like um, it's sort of like parenting when we're like, oh, when I'm a parent, I'm going to. You know, they're never going to do that. My kids are never going to do this. And then as soon as we become parents, I'm speaking as if I'm a parent. I'm, I'm a dog dad. But um, hopefully we'll be a, a father soon to a human child. Um, but then when we actually have the baby, um, I feel like we're sort of like, no, no, no. We have to. <laughs> and then we overcoddle. We overprotect. Do you feel like you had that experience with Labyrinth? Or it's pretty much a, uh, a reflection of exactly what you want your theater company to be? Um, I think... I think that the the that the beauty of the company was that we sort of all grew up together, um, and um, and the reason that the work eventually became noticed by other people was, you know, for example, like the first play I wrote, David Zayas, he wasn't a professional actor; he was a cop, but he was great, 
and he was funny and i wrote funny and he was funny and then we did more stuff together you know and then you get to a point where people start to know you where like technically if i wanted i could get somebody else besides david and then maybe an agent will come blah 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 but i'm like why why do i got to do that i love david I stuck with David, you know, David, by his turn, when he started working more, stuck by me, Phil stuck by me, I stuck by Phil, we stuck by each other. Mm -hmm. And what started to happen was, I think we, you know, we would challenge each other in a healthy way. You know, uh, you know, I wrote originally, you know, comedies, I started working with Phil, and I felt empowered, like, I was like, I could write anything I want, he's going to understand it emotionally and intellectually and he's going to be able to communicate that to actors in a way that's going to activate them and um and uh, and then and then uh, you know david was known for comedy i was like yeah i'm gonna write i'm gonna write a character for him where you know he's an ex-con who was you know raped in prison and and all this shit you know and and see where it goes and we just we all grew together we all were committed together you know, there was a lot of love, but like if you talk to him, I mean, one of my favorite stories was uh, some rehearsal for Jesus Hopped the A Train, and David came home, and 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 Liza just heard the door slam, and and he wouldn't speak for like ten minutes. She's like, "What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong?" And then finally, he said, "I want to throttle Philip Seymour Hoffman," <laughs> and he was pissed because Phil called him out on some shit. But you know what, David was ended up being great in that show you know i mean he's great in everything so we could challenge each other and grow together and um yeah and it's also the only thing i knew i hadn't written before i joined lab you know i i, I hadn't really been an actor before i joined lab you know i i learned uh i learned everything i know and everything i don't know from from them and also p.s from bill esper because i never studied acting but, you know, but Bill, you know, Bill taught Meisner. And what is that? Listening and responding. Mm -hmm. What the fuck is dialogue? Listening and, res and responding. And also, uh, the other thing that they uh, that they do in Meisner is cultivate your your imagination. You know, you're constantly having to, like, do these improvs where you're killing off your whole family. And, you know, you're preparing for tragedy, preparing for this. And it's not that much of a stretch from imagining personalizing and then walking into an exercise as it is to sort of daydreaming they called it i think daydreaming you know into an emotional state and then and then writing sticking together that is a that is something that i feel is we could use more of true ensemble building really i mean like understanding it's also okay to fight I think today we fight and we're like, I'm done with them. And then we write them off and, and we don't apologize. We don't communicate what was wrong. How can we fix this? Um, but, but, but sticking together, <laughs> I love sticking together. I have this funny, it's kind of funny. Um, at least I find it funny. But I was in a reading of a new musical of Treasure Island. And it was, it was in 2013, right when I graduated college. And I was playing the lead of it, and it was a Bathurst audition, and it was written, and it was written by a like a rock singer, a famous rock singer. And I was like, "Oh, I'm going to be a Broadway star! I can't wait!" And um, <laughs> and we did the audition, we did the reading, and it was great. And then they were like, "All right, 
you know, we're going to do another reading of it. Uh, we're going to do another reading of it, but we want you all to re-audition. And I had just started dating my fiance. <laughs> and for some reason, because I, in my mind, I'm like, we're all going to do this together. How fun would this be? I said, Rem, you should audition for this project and it'll be great. You'll be in the show. And um, he got an audition and we auditioned and it was great. And everyone was texting each other being like, just, you know, just got my offer, blah, blah, blah. And then Remy and I were sitting on the couch and he got an email that said, you know, with an offer and 30 minutes go by on my phone, 45 minutes, an hour, and I didn't book it. <laughs> so he got cast. They all got cast. And I didn't. And I was like, so much for ensemble building. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Bro, years ago, my friend Gary Perez was um, supposed to do a play at the public that George Wolf was directing. Mm -hmm. So George invited him to the Christmas party. And so he had a plus one. <laughs> so he made the mistake of inviting our friend Bobby Cannavale to the Christmas party. Now, apparently, George took one look at Bobby. A few comments. Next thing you know, Bobby got the offer and, and, and Gary was out. And I'll tell you, I got cast in a in a independent film like years ago, and um and was rehearsing and this and that. I was so excited to do it, and then they fired me right before they started shooting because they were like, "We think you're really great, but you seem to be like a method actor, and this is low budget. We don't have time." Blah 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 blah. Anyway, the long story short is, um, <laughs> I get a call a, a couple of days later from you know Sam Rockwell, right? He was mm -hmm. in our company, mm -hmm. and um and he was like, "Hey man, how you doing?" I'm like, "I'm all right." He's like, I just got an offer to do this part, but I heard that you were doing it. And I was like, no, nah, man, they fired me. You know, um, I was like, you know, yeah, you should definitely do it. Now, Sam, at this time, I, was delivering burritos. You know, he had done independent films and stuff, but but he was delivering burritos. Wow. He was the last person at the bar to, to have a dollar in his pocket. And he was like, what happened? And I told him, and he was like, fuck them. I'm not doing that movie. I'm turning it down. And, um, wow. you know. Is that necessarily the right thing? I don't know the right thing to do, but it made an impression on me. Yeah. You know, at a time when, like, I was fucking hurt. And and and, and this guy who I kind of idolized at the time, you know, had enough sense of, uh, you know, to be like, oh, okay, fuck it, I'm out. You know, but by the same token, it's like, I, I, know, I know a woman, she nursed her manager through cancer. It's a true story. Nursed her manager through cancer, manager recovered dropped her as a client and took on her best friend and her younger sister and uh and my friend i was like i was so angry and she's like hey this is the business what are you gonna do blah blah blah, blah. um so you know it's a fucked up business and, and and shit crazy shit happens and sometimes there's beautiful moments of loyalty and sometimes there's right. moments that are inexplicable but you guys obviously weathered that storm because you're still yeah, good for you. I said, I, I literally said that. I literally said, this is the industry, and it's no one's fault. It's no one's fault. I literally said, and he even said, he was like, I don't want, like, I don't want to audition for this. And I was like, no, please do. It's going to be fun. And he basically made him audition. So it's no one's really fault but mine. I can't fault the creatives. I mean, is it is it weird on their end? Sure especially because they knew we were dating and stuff like that. But um, 
it's not their responsibility to hold our relationship together. It's their responsibility to get a show up on its feet. And um, I think that's also another thing that, like, as artists, we take a lot of things personally in this industry, and um, we can't. Uh, it's hard because it, to be good at what we do, on the inside, we have to be soft like mush. Mm -hmm. But to survive it, you got to have a, a shell, and it helps to have good role models. I mean, the, there was a guy in our company, Paul Calderon, who taught me so much about how to walk into a room, whether I feel intimidated or not, look everyone in the eye, shake hands, you know, like just that basic decorum. And, and, and also, you know, we would have auditions for stuff. And, uh, and then he would call you whether you got the part or not. And I know that because I, I, I never got the part. I would always <laughs> get a, well, Steve, it's not going to be for you. But I so appreciated that he called, you know. Um, anyway, it's a tough business. It is a tough business, but um, I you, you talked about role models. I have a role model that basically introduced the whole concept of multi-hyphenating to me. Her name is Elena Garcia, and she's also probably one of your biggest fans. Um, I watched her in high school take our drama classroom, room 3202, and turn it into an equity house at night. And she yeah. self-produced, directed, and played Valdez in Jesus Hop the A-Train. And she was fucking brilliant. And she taught us in that moment that – and she always said you can, you can take theater and create it out of a can and a stick. And in our classroom, she turned it into a studio equity house with local you know, um, actors in the South Florida, Fort Lauderdale, Miami – area and did this run of jesus up the a train and it was it was incredible and she um i went as soon as i found out you're gonna do my podcast i was like what question do you have so she from elena garcia she would like to know are your characters based on someone you've met or have observed are your characters people you create from a file cabinet in your imagination uh and then you put where they parts and you put them together or do they show up and tell them Steven, I have a story to tell. Oh, wow. It's a great question. And, um, are you in New York? I'm in New York. Yeah. Is she in New York? She's in Miami. Oh, all right. Well, please send her my love. And, uh, maybe she's in New York. We're all in New York someday. We can have a cup of coffee or something, but, um, she would love that. Um, where the characters come from. Um, you know, occasionally I'll meet somebody and um, and there'll be something about them that's memorable. Um, it, it won't necessarily translate like um, note for note, you know, into the character. But I remember I, like I was doing uh, arts education work back in the day and uh, and working with uh, a lot of different populations. But I but the hardest one was working with incarcerated kids. Um, and even more so, and maybe it's a little chauvinistic of me, but working with incarcerated teenage girls just broke my heart. Um, and, uh, and I remember meeting this young girl one time and, um, I mean, she couldn't have been more than 16 or 17 and her eyes were dead and, and, and she was fucked. You could tell like there was a 99.9% that she chance that she was fucked for life. She had no idea. And um, and that stuck with me, 
And, um, and, and I think versions of that experience mixed in with my own um, emotions and feelings and stuff at time has found its way into certain characters like uh, the young girl in In Arabia, We'd All Be Kings, um, Norca in Our Lady of the 21st, 121st Street, is sort of like that version of that young person, but if they survived into their 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of times the characters are me, but, you know, in disguise or or metaphor, you know, uh, you know, um, uh, I had a really, really close friend who joined a cult and I spent a good amount of time trying to kidnap him and deprogram him and didn't work, you know, and uh, I didn't go to the church and shoot the church leader in the ass and then I didn't end up in Rikers. But eventually, like, that's the genesis of the Jesus Hop the A-Train, you know, and then the other character in that play, Lucius, you know, I'm not an African-American. I've never been incarcerated for more than a day or two. Um, I'm not a sociopath. I'm not a serial killer. But um, there was stuff that I was going through at that time that uh, I was processing. And so there was a lot of Lucius in me. So I think there's always a lot of us in our characters. But for me, I'm not so interested in the life and times of, uh, you know, half Irish American, half Egyptian, you know, uh, kid from New York. and blah, blah. But I found that I can put myself into all types of different characters and launch them. So, so yeah. And then uh, the only other thing I would say is that like as a kid, I wasn't, um, I wasn't that cool. I wasn't that tough. You know, I didn't get the girls. I wasn't great at sports. Um, growing up in the city in the seventies was a little bit tough. Um, and so I, I discovered that I really had to, um, observe other people and seek to imitate them or be like them to be accepted. Um, and I think one thing I found was, uh, you can make them laugh. That's one way to be accepted. And then I would study, you know, people. And so I think that some of that found its way into having some ability to write dialogue. You know, the dialogue I write is not, I'm not, re- I'm not recalling something I've heard before, but I think it came from, you know, formative years of like desperation to be accepted or not like mugged or whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, and then a lot of complicated feelings to sort out that you can throw on a page and hopefully call it entertainment instead of like a hundred million dollar therapy bill, you know? <laughs> Ain't that the truth? And it also, you know, this, what you're saying does fall into multi-hyphenating. You know, you're you're referring to daydreaming and you're referring to what Meisner was teaching about, like, creating those, those circumstances, those situations being dropped in the given circumstances of that work. And while it's not your experience, you are daydreaming them you are creating them and um that is taking your acting training and letting it affect your writing so that it just boils down into what you are what i am what so many of us are whether whether or not we're aware of it or not but i'm so honored so thrilled that you came on my podcast and we shared this thank you bro it's great yeah you're so welcome where are you on social what do you do on social media Are, are you on social media um I'm on Facebook and 
Twitter and Instagram. Twitter is, I think, it's Cookie Riverside. And and I guess since this was TCG that set this up, that uh, Halfway Bitches Go Straight to Heaven is a play that's available and 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 you can buy. And uh, and I'm telling you, it's 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 a play that you're probably never going to see in a big theater because it's it's 18 actors and a goat. Um, so uh, hopefully some of y'all will read the play and like it and do it in the in the, in, a, in in the small theaters because that's been that's been my audience from the beginning. It's it's always the people, the young people and people that are, you know, so thank you and check out the play. If you like it, read it, please. And Between Riverside and Crazy is currently playing at the Helen Hill. On currently on Broadway. Um, and uh, Stephen McKinley Henderson, Victor Almanzar, Michael Rispoli, Liz Canavan, Liza Colon-Zayas. Who am I? I'm forgetting one person. Uh, Rashid, a.k.a. Common who's making a sensational Broadway debut and is legit a really, really, really cool, evolved, lovely human being. Almost to a fault. <laughs> we love to hear it. When a talented yeah, person, true. when a talented person is also a good person, even better. But yeah. yes, everyone pick up your copy of Halfway Bitches Go Straight to Heaven by Stephen Abigurgis. Do it at your theaters. Do it everywhere. Uh, do it in your bathroom. I don't know why that was the forefront. Do wherever you want. Wherever you want. Just get the play and enjoy it. It's amazing. Stephen, thank you so much. You are the Man, best. Man, thank you, brother. I hope we get to meet in, in New York. I'm back in the spring. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.